Hello. We're going on another walk with Bo today, another soundscape. I find that when we first go out on a walk, I really have to keep him moving or else he's going to want to stop. Every five steps, he's going to want to stop to smell the urine on the cement. I mean, who doesn't love to do that? So you can't really blame him. So I've got something on my mind. And it's kind of personal. So I don't know if I really should be sharing it, but it's part of my process, right? I write about stuff, traumatic things that have happened in my life, and then post it on Facebook and get a little feedback and then record it. How does it sound in my voice? Listen back to it. And it allows me to think deeply. Deeply. I go deep. Nobody's ever been in me this deep before, doctor. Shouldn't you be wearing a glove? Okay, I trust you. Whatever you think is best for this rectal exam. Okay, um, so here's what I want to talk about. So my sister and I had a long conversation. Actually, let me preface this. You know, I always start telling a story and then I think, oh, you know what? I need to go back. I need to provide a preface to what I'm about to say. And here's my preface. So I have experienced multiple lockdowns in my life. In my last episode, I was talking about Big Brother. And I had to go on lockdown before I started Big Brother for, I spent two weeks in a hotel room and I couldn't leave the hotel room. My food was brought to me. I couldn't talk to anybody on the phone. Couldn't watch live TV. I could only watch DVDs. And then of course, when I got in the house, there was so much time that you spent away from the world. And I cried a lot in the house. This is all connected, I promise. It is connected to what I'm about to say. I cried a lot in the house. I was known as a crier. I went into the house saying, I remember talking to the guy, TV guy, and I was like, I'm not gonna be one of those crying gays who's always crying. It's just not who I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be happy. But then what happened was I got in the house and I did the show six years after my father died. And it was the first time that I allowed myself, because I had so much spare time on my hands, to sit down and think, really think, and sit with the emotion of losing my father. I kept thinking to myself, because my father was first generation American. His mother was a Russian immigrant, and I think he was the product of a one night stand, so he never knew his father. My father was born in 1920, lived through the Great Depression, and came from nothing. I mean, came from nothing. His mother worked at a hospital in Pennsylvania in the cafeteria. He had to sleep in a hospital room that had a literal skeleton in the corner. Because back in those days, you didn't have plastic skeletons. The skeletons in the hospital were actually human skeletons. Imagine the toll that would take on a kid. So I would think about my father, especially during Thursday's live shows, and I would think, oh, my dad would be so tickled 
that here he came from nothing and even if it's a corny reality show he gets to turn on network tv and see his son and oh no that opportunity he never got to he never got to enjoy this opportunity he never got to enjoy this opportunity so that made me sad and the more i thought about it the more i cried and thought about my father a lot so I could see where a viewer especially somebody on the live feeds might watch me cry and think that I'm just crying about stupid stuff like I got into an argument with somebody in the house or I was feeling lonely or I missed home but that wasn't what it was for me it was when you lose somebody who's super close to you like a parent a natural way of coping with that loss is to bury it and compartmentalize it. And, and I was getting my PhD when he died, so I just buried myself in work. And of course I cried about it when he died, but I didn't really sit down with the emotions. I wasn't mindful. When I started feeling stuff, I'd go, I had to work on a paper. I had to read. I had to get ready to teach. And I didn't have any of those distractions. Okay, so the point, the takeaway from all of this is that these lockdown, these sequester periods of my life have resulted in a lot of self-reflection and introspection. I'm so deep. I told you I was deep. You probably get elbow, elbow deep inside me. Without the glove, without the glove. Okay. Sorry when I sound winded. But when I go on this mile walk every day. And because I'm in my middle I'm because I'm a middle-aged woman, a middle middle-aged that it, then I get winded. So okay. So my sister and I had a conversation. And just so you know, just so you have kind of like the rough understanding of my family. I am the youngest of all of my dad's six children. And the th- my three next oldest siblings are all full siblings. My mother and father only had me. Then my father's previous marriage, he had Leonard, Jeff, and Tina. And Tina's the closest in age to me. And she's about nine years older than me. And then my brother Leonard is the oldest of my brothers um, and the oldest in that trio and he's about 13 years older than me I'd say and so there's a significant age difference and my parents got a divorce when I was an infant when I was four months old they weren't married that long and so my sister and I had very serious conversation about what transpired in that summer of 1976. And I got her version of what happened and how it affected her. And at any rate, I love saying that. At any rate, oh, there's a hopscotch. Should I do it? Boom, 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 boom. I did it, y'all. I did it. Middle aged hopscotch. Okay, this is what happens on the streets of West Hollywood. Well, 
I did not have much guidance or parenting growing up because my father raised me. I saw my mother maybe once a month. That's being generous. And I had a nanny until I was about five years old. I live in nanny named Monica from Barbados, who I loved. I called her Mon Mon. And strangely enough, my brother Leonard, my oldest brother, I called him Dada because he was so much older than me. And he was, I didn't have a mother and father. I had my father and then the next, then, then my oldest sibling was living with us was my brother Leonard. I called him Dada. So he was kind of like a parental figure. I mean, why else would a kid call a sibling Dada? Sounds so much like dad. Okay. So the point being, I did not have much parenting growing up. And by the time I was uh, seven years old, I'd been sexually abused by four different teenagers and acted out. I, I remember playing around with matches when I was a kid. When I was at five years old, I almost burnt down this storage space at our apartment. I was right next to the parking place we parked our cars, just like inside the carport. And I, I stole, I remember, $200 out of my father's pants once when I was five years old, five years old. And took some kids from the neighborhood and we went to the supermarket and so in short I had a lot of problems a lot of behavioral issues do you hear that crinkling that means that I pick up after my dog I'm part of the one percent not in terms of income just in terms of people who pick up after their dogs in West Hollywood okay where was I? Oh yeah, so I had a lot of behavioral problems and I always thought that, I always assumed throughout all of my life, up until recently, up until a year ago, my therapist helped me come to this realization. I thought that all of my behavioral issues growing up were a result of some type of inherent uh, psychological problems. Like I was just broken. That it was pre-cooked into my DNA. Not really realizing, not having enough care and empathy for myself, my younger self, to say, oh no, I, I was the product of my environment. I didn't have anybody parenting me. And so I was acting out. I, that's where the behavioral issues came from. And so what, what helped me make the realization is I've been working through these sexual abuse, this history of sexual abuse with my therapist. And she said, I want you to, when you get home, take out a picture of yourself when you were six, when a lot of the abuse happened. And look at your six-year-old self and what what would you say? What do you feel? So I did that in my next session. She said, well, what do you feel? And I said, I 
felt uh, disgust for that kid. I didn't feel any, any sympathy for him. I felt like he was broken, like I was judging him. And that's how I've always looked at the younger version of myself because I've always operated under that illusion. Uh, here's a motorcycle, so annoying. I've always assumed, as I was saying before, that I was just inherently messed up, that I was a bad seed, that I was a bad seed. It's just built into the nature of who I am. And what I realized is that I had internalized this view that other people, all these adults in my life, the, the way they saw me, the way they would talk about me, you know, if, if I got upset, people would whisper, you know, and say, well, you know, Reagan is just, he's troubled, or <laughs> variations of that. And so when I would look, when I look back at these pictures, that's what I see. I see this broken kid. And once I, I often tell my friends, I'm like, I have no idea how I ended up so amazing as an adult. <laughs> because I had so many issues growing up. But what happened was when I became an adult, my father basically cut me off. I said to myself, I, I want to become a better person. I want to be more patient and more kind. I was very aware of my deficiencies and I wanted to work on them and that's what I did. And so now I guess this is just the next part of that therapy, looking back at myself and and wanting to hug my six-year-old self and wanting to say, wanting to have sympathy for him and, and say, none of this is your fault. And it's perfectly natural for you to want to have attention and, and to want structure in your life. And, and things are going to get so much better than this. I know that sounds like a cliche, like some type of, was it Dan Savage or whoever came up with it? It gets better. It just gets better. But not, not even in terms of sexuality, but just like you're the product of your environment and you are going to cultivate better environment for yourself when you get older. You will, and you don't let it roll off your back when people make it seem like or talk about you in such a way that makes you feel like you're just broken because that's not the case. It's just not the case. And so the other part of this is, and it's taken me 44 years to get to this point, by the way, to look at myself with my younger self with sympathy. So my brother Leonard, going back to Dada, we don't talk. We, we haven't talked in probably 25 years. Not 25, 15. I'll see my father. Yeah, 15 years. And... What happened was, when I, let's see, when I was about, when I was in second grade, he, he was always the prodigal son, or not prodigal, that's the wrong word I'm looking for, 
he was always like the ideal kid. He was the straight lace kid out of all my dad's kids. And so when I was entering first grade, I think he, he moved uh, to go to college and went to Cornell. My dad paid for him to go to Cornell and get his MBA. And he ended up moving back to Houston after he got his MBA to work at Exxon. And he moved into our house. And at that point, I was turning probably about 13. And that was really the height of my problems. I started smoking. I was, I smoked pot for the first time. I was sneaking out of the house, you know. And then, and then here I have my brother who I really loved. I mean, I really looked at him as a father figure and we'd always had a good relationship prior to him moving back. And, um, you know, I was annoying. I'm sure he was almost, you know, he was in his 20s, mid 20s. And here I am 13 with so many issues. And so our relationship, I guess, was strained at that time. I remember I would go in and I would take steel quarters out of his, uh, out of his, what do you call it, dresser. And I would buy packs of cigarettes with them and pizzas and <laughs> So he ended up getting married to a woman named Tracy who was just awful and Tracy and I got into an argument when I was probably like 14 or 15 years old and that was a straw that broke the camel back, camel's back. He like white knighted her even though she was totally in the wrong. Um, and so our relationship never really mended after that. But. At any rate, I was going through all this history with my sister yesterday, and I went, oh my gosh. You know, part of the problem with my brother and I is that he, the way he talks to me, the way he talks about me, it's very obvious to me that he still sees me as the child I was and not the man that I became. And that's one of the problems with family, right? when you go back home and there are still people who are treating you like somebody who you were in the past rather than the person that you are in that moment. And so it's uncomfortable and you don't want to be around it. And I went, oh, when I was having the conversation with my sister yesterday, I went, oh, Leonard's eyes are in part some of the eyes that I see my younger self through and why I'm so unsympathetic to my younger self. And that really uh, is heartbreaking to me. It's a big breakthrough that I made, a big breakthrough. And it all stems from that therapist asking me to take out the picture and how do I feel? How do I feel about that? But it's taken lockdown. I mean, we did that exercise a year ago, at least in therapy. And it's taken me all this time to, I'm still unpacking it. And I know it seems stupid. It seems trite. It seems like that thing that RuPaul has the queens do. Like, here's a picture of yourself when you were a little queer, when you were seven years old. What do you want to say to yourself? And the drag queen goes, I want to say to yourself to continue to be fierce, that things will be bad for quite a long time, but they will get better. You know, like, I, I understand that it has that 
that feel to it. And I guess it, I mean, that's always one of the parts of the drag race show that people get emotional at, right? Because they can, they can relate to it. So that's how I feel. That's where I'm at today. With this business of life. And there's more to the story. There's more to like um, the Leonard story. But I'm not, I'm not going to get into it. Um, it's, it makes me sad that our relationship is so messed up. And that we don't really have a relationship. And haven't talked for such a long time. And I, I've reached out a few times. Like I remember my freshman year of college. I wrote him this long letter saying I was living in Austin. And I was like, I don't know what that has to do with anything. But, but I was. I was living in Austin before Austin was cool. In the 1990s. In the mid-90s. And I said, I just want my brother back. Like I miss you. I love you. I have three brothers. One I will never have a relationship with. Because he's evil. And then another is just not, um, I, we just never had a good relationship. I mean, I don't dislike him the way that I dislike my, uh, my mother's other son, Randy. And then there's Leonard, who at one time really was a brother to me. And as I said before, he's my dada. He was not just a brother, but he was a father figure to me. So I wrote him this letter. It was very heartfelt. And never responded and I asked my stepmother to ask him why he never responded and he said oh I didn't get that letter oh it must have been lost in the mail it must have been lost in the mail so I don't know and I've made other efforts like that and they just uh, it, it, the passive aggressiveness and the refusal to acknowledge me and to be so dismissive of me and all of that it's just it's hurtful it's hurtful but I'm not a little kid anymore and I can I can deal with it right and, and most importantly I'm able to reflect upon that time period and look at myself and have compassion for myself in a way that so many other people didn't, who didn't step up to the plate, who were adults, are almost adults at that time, when they should have parented me, when they failed me, right? And I'm not trying to like blame all of them, but I need to take some of the burden off my younger self who didn't know any better. At any rate, that's where I am today. I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking things through. That's the point of these stream of consciousness things, right? to think it through, to put it out there. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I, I, I'm back from my walk, so I'm gonna upload this and then put it out into the universe and I'll wash my hands with battery acid because I was just outside, so the COVID is everywhere on me. <coughs> Look, I'm coughing now. Oh God, I'm coughing now, what does it mean? How many COVIDs do I have inside me? Do I have all 19 inside of me? Oh, this is a funny thing that I had to say before I go. So I got 23andMe because I'm going to do all that genetic testing because uh, my father, as I was saying earlier in the show, it's all connected. It's all connected. My father never knew his father. So there's a quarter of my family tree that is just gone. I don't know where it is. So maybe I'll find out that I have cousins or with my father because he was such a ladies man I may have siblings that I didn't know about so we'll know I, I, we don't know until I do this so 23andMe I just bought it it's gonna come in the mail I'm gonna spit 
even though I'm a swallower. And and we'll see what the results are. That would be a fun podcast episode to share with all of you, my 23andMe results. But um, I was playing Overwatch with my friends yesterday, and one of them is very sexy. His name is Isaac. And I was like, Isaac, you should let me do the 23andMe for you. I was like, I'm going to need to collect a sample of your DNA. So I'm going to need you to come in. It needs to be semen. I need you to, I need to collect it rectally. And then I was like, instead of 23 and me, it's 23 in me. Get it? One day I'll find relief I'll re-arrive it And I'll be a friend to my friends Who know how to be friends One day I'll be a peace I'll be enlightened And I'll be married with children And maybe adopt one day I will be healed I will gather my wounds Forge the end of tragic comedy I have been a running so Sweaty my whole life Urgent for a finish life I have been missing the rapture this whole time of being forever incomplete. One day my mind will retreat and I'll know God and I'll be constantly one with her night, dusk, and day. One day, I'll be secure. Like the women I see on their 30th anniversary. I have been running so sweaty my whole life. Urgent for a whole time of being forever incomplete ever unfolding ever expanding ever adventurous and torturous but never done one day I will speak freely I'll be less afraid And measured outside of my poems and lyrics and art One day I will be faith-filled I'll be trusting and spacious, authentic and grounded and home I have been so sweet.
this hard time of being free.